Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, I'm Gianna Volpe. When industry analysts track gasoline prices around the country, a phrase comes to mind that's almost unheard of here. Look how cheap it is on Long Island. While pump prices have been ticking slightly higher over the past few weeks, gasoline remains less expensive in Nassau and Suffolk counties than it is in other parts of the state. It's also well below what it cost last year. Chris Kahn reporting on Newsday.com that according to AAA, the average cost of regular gasoline rose seven cents over the past month to $3.20 per gallon on Long Island. That's 10 cents less than the New York average and nearly 20 cents less per gallon than what Long Island motorists paid for gas this time last year. Gasoline can be purchased for as low as Two eighty-four a gallon at an Ultra Fuel in Comac, and two eighty-five at Seven Eleven in Valero in Bayshore, according to Price Tracker Gas Buddy. There's a Shell station on County Road Thirty-Nine in Southampton where gas is going for about three dollars and six cents a gallon, closer to three forty east of Southampton. Nationwide gasoline prices are up nearly twenty cents. Over the past month, that's per gallon. New York gasoline is especially sensitive to the global market for crude oil since a lot of it comes from foreign refineries. And so pump prices in the region tend to be in lockstep with crude import prices. Meanwhile, the price of gasoline in other parts of the country, especially Texas and the Midwest, has soared as power outages and other issues slowed production at several refineries serving the middle of the country, according to Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis at GasBuddy. Despite the refinery problems, government economists and market analysts agree that retail gasoline should see only mild increases this spring. As temperatures rise and Americans take more road trips. Overall, U.S. pump prices are expected to be cheaper in 2024 than they were last year. In other news, Northwell Health reached a tentative agreement with the Nurses Union at Long Island Jewish Valley Stream, avoiding a potential strike at the hospital near the Nassau-Queens border, the New York State Nurses Association said. Serena Trangle reporting on Newsday.com that the union and the new Hyde Park-based health system bargained through the night Saturday and came to an agreement early Sunday. LIJ Valley Stream staff are slated to vote on the agreement today. Just one day before nurses had authorized the strike, hundreds of union members at Peconic Bay Medical Center in Riverhead also scheduled to vote on a proposed contract today. Nurses, along with x-ray technicians, pharmacists, physical therapists, um, respiratory therapists, occupational therapists, and lab techs had threatened to walk off the job tomorrow but reached a contract proposal agreement last week. NYSNA declined to provide specifics on the proposals until after members had voted on them. The contracts would collectively cover more than 700 people. Northwell Health, the largest private employer in the state, says it's pleased to have reached tentative agreements. Here in Southampton, Southampton Town Council person Tommy John Schiavone will run for the New York State Assembly seat being vacated by Fred W. Thiel Jr., the longtime incumbent who announced last week he would not seek another term this year. C. 
Stephen J. Coates reporting on 27East.com. That's Schiavone, whose town board term ends in 2025, confirmed in an interview on Friday, February 16th, that he would seek to replace Thiel, who will have held the first district seat for nearly 30 years when he steps down at the end of the year. Schiavone is a resident of North Haven, where he grew up and is a Pearson High School graduate, Rich Schaefer, the chair of the Suffolk County Democratic Committee, said the party would be interviewing candidates for the opening this week, and Schiavone was the leading candidate for the Democratic nomination. Last week, Suffolk County Republican Jesse Garcia said the GOP would nominate a candidate at its convention tomorrow in stating his case for the seat. Schiavone said public service has really been my calling my whole adult life. A longtime social studies teacher in the Center Mauritius School District, Schiavone has held appointed and elected office in serving a five-year term on the North Haven Village Zoning Board of Appeals from 2008 to 2013. He followed that by serving as a North Haven Village trustee. He also served on the Sag Harbor School Board and the Southampton Town Zoning Board of Appeals. He was first elected to the Southampton Town Board in 2017 and re-elected to his second four-year term in 2021. Schiavone said there were a number of issues confronting the East End. He looked forward to tackling in Albany, including affordable housing. And finally, the Kutchog Civic Association will take a comprehensive look at the town of South Holt's community housing plan at a meeting on Thursday, February 22nd. That's this Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. at the Kutchog New Suffolk Library titled South Old Town Community Housing Plan, Who, What, When, Why, Where, and How. A little turned around, but that's the the big journalist uh, map of any story. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Uh, Beth Young of East End Beacon reporting that South Old Council member Jill Darty. And town planning officials will discuss what the community housing fund is and when it will go into effect, why a plan is needed, and who is intended to benefit where community housing can be located and how the fund will be administered. Presenters Jill Darty, South Hold Town Council Mark Terry, the Assistant Town Planning Director, and Mara Cerezo, the Town Planner, a question and answer period will follow their presentation. The meeting's open to the public. All are encouraged to attend. Again, that's this Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. at the Kutchog New Suffolk Library. Uh, Staying in Kutchog for the weather, looking like a sunny Tuesday with a high near 34 degrees. Wind chill between 15 and 25. East wind 7 to 11 miles per hour tonight, mostly clear with a low around 28 degrees. Wind chill between 20 and 25. East wind six to eight miles per hour right now it's 26 degrees and it's february 20th not only is that one of our own's birthday one and only delaney hafner but delaney's band dropped a brand new single topo chico so i'm going to do a bell curves double uh pack with february girl featuring finn and his rust kickers uh, who do we have? Frankie Cosmos, Matilda Mann, The Waifs in your immediate listening future, but kicking it off with Beach Bunny from an Audio Tree live session from 2018. This is February on WLIWFM, 
Stay tuned for Michael Butler at the bottom of the next hour here on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Strawberry ice cream on summer's day You melt away through the cracks in my fingers I know that sunburn goes away The broken words I last heard still linger February, it was June, it was August with you. 
That last one was Matilda Mann. These are the waifs. February. On WLIWFM. i 
baby was loving that one. I had a dream last night that I had the baby. It was a boy, uh, and it was born on March 5th. And when I woke up in the morning and I told Ryan, he said, that's my grandfather who just passed. That's his birthday. Never know what it means. All right, we're going to go from the waves to Smith and Thel. This is from the Soul Prince record of 2017. Uh, Complete Mountain Almanac on deck with their February track. I I wasn't sure if I was going to play these two, but um, I want to make sure that, you know, we've got enough for this morning. I imagine we will, but I just, I don't want to get too, too far into the Topo Chico tracks in this hour because we got a whole nother one coming after this. Michael Butler joining us at the bottom of the next hour. Uh, I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Smith and Thel, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love on 88.3 FM throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9, in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org slash radio. On Delaney Hefner's birthday. Stay tuned to hear the premiere of the Bell Curve's new track, Topo Chico. I said to my feet, don't just lay there and sleep. Get up from that bed, make something good of this day. And I said to my hands, now go make some friends. You touch the remote more than your lover. But I'm as
This next one from the Complete Mountain Almanac, single from 2023. The Avid Brothers and Hobo Johnson on deck before the Groovy Cellar, then the Bell Curves. Double Pack. You're on WLIWFM. Near the Hunter's Forest. Someone will take part. My body in order to save me. Three small bottles, a little ahead of time. Do not raise your fear.
I didn't skip this track. You're all female vocalists leading up to this moment. I'll play some Avid Brothers and Hobo Johnson and the groovy seller, then we'll get back to the bell curves. It's February 7. The 2012 record, The Carpenter. February 15th from Hobo Johnson's 2019 record, The Fall of Hobo Johnson. I went on the search for something true. Here on WLIWFM. I was almost there when I found you. Sooner than my fate was wrote. Perfect blade, it slid my throat and beads of lust released into the air. When I awoke, you were standing there. I was on the mend when I fell through The sky around was anything but blue I found desire regained my feet A wound across my memory That no amount of stitches would repair But I awoke and you Standing there. There's no fortune at the end of a road that has no end. There's no returning to the spoils once you spoil the thought of them. There's no Oh, no. 
Sensor Finger's ready, but I think this is going to be a challenging one. Hobo Johnson on WLIWFM with February 15th. The butterflies in my stomach have died. Now there's lowly caterpillars that are waiting for the night to strike. And they've been dying to escape The fit of my stomachs are really You know, my new friends are starting to know Well, my old ones don't talk to me anymore My ex knows, well, my last one's my last one Hey, guess why I saw my stupid actions I'm gonna feel alone forever I'm gonna feel alone forever But I'm getting used to the thought Except late at night, you know, maybe I'm I'll surely be alone forever, but I'm getting used to the thought, except late at night, you know. And she went to Columbia when I was in jail. I just wanted another apple when all she wanted was Yale. And that is the problem where all of this lies. I'm emotionally unstable. I'm just a crazy guy who's, who's surely be alone forever. I'm gonna be alone forever, but I'm getting used to the thought. And in a couple years, I'm gonna pay to make it stop. I'm gonna be alone forever. I'm gonna be alone forever, but I'm getting used to the thought. And in a couple years, I will pay to make it stop. (laughs) I think I got them all. All right, this is the Groovy Cellar. February Girl, Bell Curves on Deck. WLIWFM, news you can trust. Music, maybe you like. She was born at the wrong time. <laughs> and maybe at the wrong place. Too. That was in reference to the Hobo Johnson. Nobody liked her. And she'd always been treated cruel. The music that is all she got. She can't sing.
And here's your Bell Curves two-pack on Delaney's birthday. Tweety Twang in the background, little Finn and his Russ kickers featured on the Bell Curves, February Girl. I always like, I feel that song. I really do. Although, I got to say, uh, last, the Private Oceans had been my favorite Bell Curves song that had come out. And now Topo Chico is. This is the premiere of the Bell Curves brand new single. 
on Delaney Hafner's birthday. We've got uh, the Pissant Farmers with a track by the same names, uh, the same name from their cushion record of 2015. There's a lot of Topo Chico tracks. Color Me, Surprised, and uh, Learning a Lot. We've got uh, Jenny Stark, Jay Joven, Haley Blake, Supermoto, uh, Robert Ellis, and Drew Kennedy and Josh Grinder, all with Topo Chico tracks. But first, the premiere of the Bell Curves uh, brand new single right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, powered by your donations to WLIW.org slash radio. I never feel jet lagged I'm already hours late I live on mountain time here in New York No one seems concerned Because I always keep a promise And I promise I can always make it work Million dollar houses With the hillsides full of fruit trees Guess I'd settle if I had no
You know, I'm going to lead you into the NPR news break with Jay Joven. Because I've only got a minute left, and I'm least bothered by this track going. The Jenny Stark and Haley Blake tracks are kind of like an answer to this one. Got some problems that I'm trying to avoid. Need a little sip of you, you've been drinking my choice. And if you're feeling what I'm saying, come on home with the boy. I'm talking top down, head flowing the wind. We on the right track, ain't taking the left. I know you like that when I take it slow in the whip. And now I got your head spinning, cause I'm back in the mix. I'm flipping the switch, swerving so I tighten the grip. I'm automatic, but so pushing the shift. They praying I slip. You can feel the heat, this is real as it get. I'm hot wired when the sun gets to hitting my skin. Hey, I ain't never. With Long Island local news on Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. When industry analysts track gasoline prices around the country, a phrase comes to mind that's almost unheard of here. Look how cheap it is on Long Island. While pump prices have been ticking slightly higher over the past few weeks, gasoline remains less expensive in Nassau and Suffolk counties 
than it is in other parts of the state. It's also well below what it cost last year. Chris Kahn reporting on Newsday.com that according to AAA, the average cost of regular gasoline rose seven cents over the past month to three dollars and twenty cents per gallon on Long Island. That's ten cents less than the New York average, and nearly twenty cents less per gallon than what Long Island motorists paid for gasoline this time last year. Nationwide gasoline prices are up nearly twenty cents per gallon over the past month. Government economists and market analysts agree that retail gasoline should see only mild increases this spring as temperatures rise and Americans take more road trips. Overall, U.S. pump prices are expected to be cheaper in 2024 than they were last year. The U.S. Energy Information Administration predicts regular gasoline will top out at a national average of $3.55 in July and that for the entire year, national average pump price will be 21 cents cheaper per gallon than it was in 2023. In other news, teachers are missing more school and there are too few substitutes. Sarah Marvash reporting in the New York Times that in some districts, teachers are taking more sick days than uh, since the pandemic. A shortage of substitutes can make matters worse. Making matters even more difficult is a national shortage of substitute teachers, which many educators say has worsened since the pandemic. Schools serving low-income areas are the least likely to be able to find enough substitutes. Research has shown not all districts have experienced a rise in teacher absences, but those that have point to trends that reflect the broader American workforce. Employees in many occupations are taking more sick days since the pandemic. Women who make up the vast Majority of the teaching workforce may also be juggling more child care as children stay home from school or from daycare more frequently. Uh, mothers 10 times as likely as fathers to take time off work to care for a sick child. And finally, the North Fork Audubon Society we- uh, weighing whether to rename the local chapter of the Nature Preservation Group to remove the reference to John James Audubon, the namesake for the long of the longtime American birding organization who was a slaveholder and opponent of abolition. Alec Lewis reporting on RiverheadLocal.com that the National Audubon Society voted last March against dropping the renowned uh, natural, uh, naturalist excuse me, from its name. But some local chapters of the Audubon Society, including the New York City chapter, which are independent – Nonprofits decided they would change their names despite uh, the decision. Okay, for a second, I thought that, okay, so they voted, the National Audubon Society voted last March against dropping uh, Mr. Audubon's name. For, okay, so Ellen Berenbaum, uh, a North Fork Audubon Society board member, wrote on the subject. In the most recent issue of the organization's newsletter, The Kingfisher, the organization is undertaking its own review of the name and is seeking input from the group's membership. Birnbaum told Riverhead Local that her group sent the article to approximately 1,800 people associated with the North Fork Audubon Society asking for their input. John James Audubon, a French-American who lived from 1785 to 1851, 
was the New York uh, was the United States' most famous and influential wildlife artist and naturalist. Quote: His contributions to ornithology, art, and culture are enormous. But he was a complex and troubling character who did despicable things, even by the standards of his day. The National Audubon Society acknowledges in a profile of Audubon on its website, uh, quote, he was contemporaneously and posthumously accused of and most certainly committed both academic fraud and plagiarism. But far worse, he enslaved black people and wrote critically about emancipation. He stole human remains and sent the skulls to a colleague who used them to assert that whites were superior to non-whites, end quote. Birnbaum said it would take six to eight months to examine the impact of the Audubon name on our mission to protect wild birds and their habitat and to connect people to nature. I won't say how I feel, but uh, no, I will. Uh, that seems like a no-brainer to me. Um... It, why not change the name if you're especially when you're you're looking to uh, bring upcoming generations into a love of birds? You don't need uh, a despicable character like that to positively affect. I'm sorry. I'm reading the news. Take it back. Keep your opinion to yourself. It's tough sometimes, uh, especially in this day and age. Very excited to um, have our next guest, Michael Butler, joining us at the bottom of the hour uh, on this edition of The Heart, underwritten by Peconic Landing and Southampton Arts Center. We'll be talking uh, about a number of events and exhibitions connected to black history uh, and more um, very soon, actually, not even at the bottom of the hour because he's here. So we're reading the, the weather in Sag Harbor. Uh, sunny today in Sag with a high near 34 degrees. Wind chill values between 15 and 25 degrees. Northeast wind 5 to 10 miles per hour becoming southeast in the afternoon. Tonight mostly clear with a low around 25 degrees. Calm wind becoming east 5 to 8 miles per hour after midnight. Right now it's 27 degrees, uh, and I've got those answer tracks <laughs> that I mentioned. They're not really. I just sort of imagined it in my head. Uh, so Jenny Stark and Haley Blake, Supermoto, Robert Ellis, Drew Kennedy, and Josh Greider, uh, but likely will interject uh, with our interview with Michael A. Butler in just a minute, just a few minutes here on WLIWFM. Believe it would last. 
like this probably on any NPR station anywhere uh leading us into our conversation with Michael A Butler this edition underwritten by Peconic Landing and Southampton Arts Center apologies guys for getting so uh, impassioned during the news that's a t- it was a tough read for me 
uh, really learning about who Autobahn was as a person and then being uh, the the lifelong ornitho ornithological lover that I am, you know, uh, it, it's and, and not only uh, loving birds, but loving everybody and wanting people to be together and uh, certainly uh, not interested in any of the things uh, that uh, Mr. Autobahn apparently stood for um, in his time or ours. So, but still, reading the news is not the place for that. Um, Michael, first of all, apologies. We've met before. Yes, it was four years ago. Oh, my um, gosh. Takeover 2020 at the Southampton Arts Center. Okay. Amy and I came over with um, Sher Carrie Sharkey Miller, and you interviewed us about the that show. So, yeah, we were uh, artists in residence I'm at so, Southampton Arts Center. I'm so excited to have you back. Well, thank you. It's good to see you again. You are. It is so wonderful to see you, to be with you, and also for this occasion, because I'm going to get to dive more into your personhood and to your history here on Long Island. Uh, but first, uh, I do want to start by saying um, or asking about the show that's going on or the, the exhibition at Bay Street so opened 10 days ago. It's going to be there through March 24th. Right. You and Dr. Georgette Greer-Key curated it to explore Afrofuturism with regional artists. So, so can we start by talking about this reimagination and reinterpretation of the past, presenting a liberated future of expression in every corner of the creative universe, not only through your own artistic lens and where it's taken your work, but also... Uh, the other artists, such as uh, Judith Hunrick uh, Adams. And, yes, Enriquez Adams. Adams. Yes, yes. That's beautiful. James Ward and Dr. Nichelle Rivers? Yes, that's okay, right. Please, that's right. please tell me everything. Well, yeah, I was so great because this show really came together very quickly. Uh, I was asked by Georgette if I would co-curate with her at Bay Street Theater with uh, Chris Seifert, Kara, and Eric Jacobson. And it's it's been a great collaboration. Uh also in this exhibit, we do have a collection of action figures, African-American-inspired. Um, some of the typical figures you would have um, maybe growing up with, such as Jordy from Star Trek Next Generation, currently Michonne from, I believe it's going to air again from The Walking Dead, the zombie apocalyptic uh, type of series that they have. Um, also... Uh, Iconic figures, such as Grace Jones. Now, these are all figures that my brother, Dr. Martin A. Butler, and I have been collecting over, gosh, probably 30 or 40 years. And we literally have probably hundreds, maybe close to a thousand different types of, um, I would say, black Americana, uh, black memorabilia. We started out collecting the typical negative, stereotypical type of uh I would say like salt and pepper shakers, cookie jars, that type of thing. The mammies, the pappies, the uncles, and all of that type of stuff. But at one point, we decided to move into a more current, futuristic type of outlook rather than portraying these negative, stereotypical things. We said, well, you know, there's so many and, people And highlighting now, them. Highlighting them, exactly. The accomplished people, people that have, have a forward-looking vision. So I selected, actually, it's a dozen of these action figures, and... 
Some of them were created through the Marvel These comic are fi- series. Fi- physical. These are Figures? physical, yes. They're How in, cool. in a cubby at uh Who made at Bay these? Street Your brother Theater. did? We didn't make them. We collect oh. them. We, we collect oh. them. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Although cool. I have made d- black dolls in the past, but I was just saying the other day we were discussing maybe we should start going into that again. Oh, and I understand. So you're t- and you're you're just talking about a like collection. A, a vintage and, and antique yes, objects. Yes, yes. But these are also uh, portraying the idea, the concept of Afrofuturism. Yes. And the idea of Sankofa, and I hope I get this right, is don't be ashamed of reaching back into the past to bring something forward. So when we think of Afrofuturism, it's sort of a continuum. This is how I view it anyway, right. of people. Because when you think of people maybe 100 years ago looking forward, well, what will my descendants inherit? What, what will their landscape look like? And say, here we are now. Well, those people back then were forward-looking, and it was in the early 1900s, I think W.E.B. Du Bois was one of the first people to look forward. But the term Afrofuturism was actually coined around 1993. So the idea, the concept in that regard is, I would say, that young still. So there are different types. And Afrofuturism incorporates not just the fine arts, but music, dance, theater, almost any realm of creativity that you could think of. Beautiful. And so what works did you lend at the exhibition? I mean, you mentioned the figures. Right. Well, I also have five paintings of mine there, which, again, my artwork typically tends to be more of a historical documentary type of um, narrative that I portray. Mm-hmm. People whose names may be forgotten or their images. You know, I've been uh, closely collaborating with... Plain Sight Donna, Project. Plain Sight Project, Donna exactly, Marie with Don Marie uh-huh. Barnes. As soon as you're talking about that, I'm like, a names we've forgotten. I was like, Donna Marie. Yes, right. Great person. nobody forgets Donna Marie. Yes, they are doing a a great bang-up job over at Sylvester Manor now. So I've been collaborating with them, and I got really turned on to the idea of trying to bring forth actual images of the formerly enslaved. People, we don't call them runaways anymore. We think of them as either freedom seekers or self-emancipators because... When you think of the idea of a runaway, I think right. of an errant child who didn't it, like their well, dessert. Or, and it's no. also, it, it is specifically through a specific lens. It it makes the mind think of, you know, that they are doing something wrong. Exactly. That's right. Whereas they were just hoping for what every other person in this country, in the world, right. actually wants. The it's freedom to express of, yeah. themselves and earn their own be money. free. Have a family. Exactly. Yes. And be free, you know to express themselves, to live freely. And so I try to bring, maybe there's a little bit of documentation, a description of the runaway poster Mm. or something like that, or sometimes there's almost nothing to go on. So I just try to envision what this person looked like. I try to do a a deep dive into the history of that period. What were the occupations people typically did? What crops did they grow? What was the clothing like? And, you know, you will find that within a 10-year period, fashions will have changed immensely, like they do now. Yeah. But back then, nobody thinks like the 1780s, maybe, what people were wearing. You know, you see a movie or something, and you think, oh, okay, that's a period costume. But just a ribbon, a bow, the the lace around the collar or something gives you a whole different aspect to what they might have been wearing. Now, when you think of people who were enslaved, you kind of assume that they were not dressing at the height of fashion. Mm. So what I do is I typically go back maybe 10 or 15 years 
in an early time period and look at what those people might have been wearing then. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. So Got it. Yeah. It, with the, with it's like a, it's like the hand me down. Exactly. Uh, right. Right. Look. The look. Right. You know, something. Some of the women would have been seamstresses in their own right, so they might have been able to get a whatever. Which I always like because that stuff's usually coming back into fashion, and now you're wearing vintage. I'm a big person. I, you know, most of my house is furnished with antiques or yeah. older reclaimed furniture. Yes, you know, because I like the idea of that history being there. It's, yeah. you know, somebody else used this. Yes. What was their life history? And like it's, usually, it's usually it's uh, usually much higher quality. That's right. Oh, the stuff you get today is not, does not no. compare. I mean, look not at the furniture. Close. Everything's pressed wood or some kind mm-hmm. of board, you and know, composite. it falls, it falls apart. <laughs> exactly. Don't get it wet. And it's so expensive. <laughs> You're like, oh, geez. Why don't I get a piece of hardwood off the side of the road? Exactly. For free. Do a little dumpster dive yeah. and pull out a good piece oh. of wood. But, oh, uh, nothing like a good a no. good roadside treasure. So Sorry, was, I'm off I'm That's off all right. Topic. No, go right ahead. No, so, but... so please, uh, so let's talk more about the works, about your works. Yes. So... So again, I was just talking about what I typically do. So this yes. Afrofuturism, maybe now. So do you have a then. series of these of these posters? These uh, port are they portraits? Um, because you're reimagining, you're you're trying, you're taking a poster, right, that doesn't have a person's picture, or does it? They almost never have it. They almost never do. Anybody? No. There's a physical description. There was one gentleman whose uh, painting I did, who was between ninety and hundred years of age. He had been born in Africa. One leg was shorter than the other. Wait a minute! And they were looking for this man. They were looking for, and he had already been gone for about five or six years. So, oh my God! Yes, let him be. Let him be. You know, <gasps> how much longer? You know, God bless, is he going to live at this point in his life? Right. So, the interpretation I did was well. First of all, when you have somebody whose leg is shorter than the other, their whole body is skewed. The waistline, the shoulders. Everything is off on a different angle. So I had to portray that, but I said, this gentleman at this age and stage of his life, being physically differently abled, didn't walk anywhere. He either hitched a ride somewhere, but my interpretation is he escaped by boat, either going to Canada or somewhere, maybe Nova Scotia, somewhere further north, and gained his freedom that way. But there's no further record of what happened to him. Oh, my God. Yes. But so that's what I typically do. Breaking my heart. I know. This this sad story. Was it hard? Is it hard? It's- it is. It is. It is. Because I often sometimes identify with some of the characters that I'm actually portraying. So it's really tough. Yes, it is. Because my family's been on Long Island at least since the late Se- 1700s. Yeah, I mean, you guys have been submarine here, what, seven generations? Yes, that's right. Seven generations. So, yeah, Sag Harbor is home to me. So, please, toward that end, can we talk a bit about some of your family members and ancestors and how they have personally affected you as we celebrate Black history? Sure, sure. Well, I come from a long line of educators, uh, teachers in the Brooklyn public school system. My father's family started summering here about 1922. Uh, Walter, Professor Walter Craig was a musician. He had his own band. But they did not leave a lasting presence here in Sag Harbor. It was not until about 1930 when my mother's family started summering here. And they first came here on my great uncle's cabin cruiser. Now, my great uncle, Jimmy Harris, was a professor at uh, in Fort Greene at Brooklyn Technical High School. And he was the first African-American professor ever hired there. And he was there until he retired 
decades later in the 1950s. And Brooklyn has a very rich history when, when you look at the history of segregation and whatnot yes. uh, of schools. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But Brooklyn was also, I think, somewhat forward thinking absolutely. In, in its mindset. It was. I mean, that's why I'm saying it was, yes. it was uh, uh, absolutely a, a, a place where there's, there's so much history there. I remember reading, doing an interview about a ge- with a gentleman and the, the entire book was about that. Oh, yes. Right, right. There are several books about that history in Brooklyn. Now, all of my siblings, my mother's siblings, my grandmother's siblings were all born in Brooklyn. So my great uncle, who I just referenced, was born 1887 in Brooklyn. And he was the son, and this is my mother's mother's brother, oldest brother. He was the son of a gentleman who had been enslaved in Virginia and an Irish immigrant who was brought over to be a seamstress by her aunt. Now, the Irish family lived in uh, Connecticut, and then they met, my great-grandparents met, working for the same family in Manhattan. She was the seamstress, and he basically was the coachman, the, the ostler, and did things with the but horses. But he was, he was liberated? He was not a slave? He was liberated because when he was born, he was, would have been about 10 or 12 years of age. And he made his way north. That record is not quite clear exactly how or when he came north. Isn't it amazing to think about uh, to think about the first generation of free, of free people? Yes, it is. It is. Yes, yes. So, I think that made my my grandmother have these almost too high standards. Uh, she was very rigid, very strict. Again, she was a Brooklyn school teacher, and she was very regimented also. And so when uh, my we would stay with her. In what way? What do you mean? She was just strict. You know, she was uh, she wasn't really fun to be around. You know, she was a great cook, and I guess in her own Very way, disciplined. Disciplined, yes. She was. I'm surprisingly like that. <laughs> in my own home. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. So uh, when we were younger and my parents were working in the city, uh, we would stay with her. And my twin brother and I were not very good in math. So she would have these flashcards, these mathematical flashcards. And, you know, how do you want, you do not want to spend your summer, so-called vacation, you know, having these drills, these math drills. But um, it did inculcate me a, a an appreciation of Sag Harbor. I never thought... I would live here full time. I always thought I would just continue to be a summer person and just move on, you know, go back and forth between the city. But in the late 80s, I was not working at the time. I had quit working for the city of New York. I was living in my co-op. What were you doing for the city? At that time, I was a mortgage analyst. I worked for the Department of Housing, Preservation, and Development. Okay. So I took a number of uh, part-time odd jobs. What years? That was in the 80s? That was the late 80s. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So I did um, legal proofreading. Housing was different things. back then. It was very different, very. <laughs> but I worked for the city of New York, which at the time they were, well, two aspects of it. They were providing mortgages to homeowners, one to four family uh, homeowners. And also they were helping the uh, landlords of large apartment buildings to um, renovate them. So there were different programs oh. like J51 tax abatement, Article 8A, and different types of things. So we'd meet with the tenants and explain to them, well, your rent may be going up because you're going to get new windows, right. new boiler, blah, blah, blah. So it was very interesting, but not I did not Not stuff that like. people want to hear. Yes, I know. And it must have been tough because, it could be, you yeah. know, because like 
you know how the the New Yorker attitude is, and then I someone know. someone from I the know. city's coming in to tell you that your rent's going up. Oh boy, what joy! Yes, <laughs> yeah, I right. know. I'm so sorry, but so can you talk a little bit about coming to Sag Harbor as a kid? What was that like for you? Did you was it like a dream? It to, was to to live out here full time. Well, it did become a dream. Yes, I found myself spending more and more time, longer weekends, and one day I just said. Well, why am I going back? Let me just move here full time. So I had sold my brownstone. I had bought a lot um, in the Hillcrest Terrace neighborhood of Sag Harbor and then built my home. But going back, you know, as you asked me, as, as a child, it was very, very different. I mean, we're talking now the, the 60s. Right. And what's some of my earliest memories, maybe in the late 50s. But the air was so fresh and crystal clear. I mean, there were still dairy farms on Scuttle Hole Road. And we would leave Queens. I grew up in St. Albans, Queens. Um, and, of course, the ride then took forever because, you know, uh, the LIE and Sunrise Highway had not been extended fully. So you'd have to detour off, come through Calverton and Riverhead oh, wow. and take, you know, the those slower roads. And But watching the sunrise over a scutt- on Scuttle Hall Road and there would be mist coming up and the fields, it was just amazing. Then we would get to Sag Harbor and the beach was always there, you know. Most of us spent all of our days on the beach and um, every now and then going fishing. I am not a good fisher. I only caught maybe three or four fish in my life. <laughs> so, as we know, I just never, I don't know, the bait would disappear off the hook and that would be the end of it. So You're like, oh, because they're eating it and you're like, oh, thinking, dreaming. Yeah, so do I feel a nibble? Is that a nibble? I don't know. Maybe it's just the current pulling the the line of the hook further away. So that was not a good experience. But we'd also go blueberry picking, peach picking, maybe strawberry you're just, picking. Maybe you're just tender hearted. Yes. Maybe you didn't really that's true. want your like be free fish. I was well, never a good fisherman either. Talking about birds but and then fish. I haven't, I haven't done it a lot. You haven't done it a lot. No. no. It's not well, I get seasick number one, so I can't really oh, go that's out tough. on a boat. Yes. And, you know, but I feature a lot of fish in my paintings, a lot of birds in my paintings. So just to think that natural environment with with which we're surrounded informs my work. That's another category that I I try to include. Um, Once upon a time, all of my paintings had to have people featured in them. But I've moved beyond that. You know, I've done, I just sold a painting called Birds of the Meadow, which kind of well, it's just a one tree in the center and then all these birds, different types of birds flying around that you would typically find here in, uh, in this local environment. Do you like you like birds? I love birds. Me too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I had a bird feeder several winters, but I could not keep the squirrels from getting in there. So they're tough. They're you tough. Know, you know what I did with squirrels is I distracted them. I, I kept, like, the pumpkins oh, from pumpkin season, and I put, yeah. and I put the pumpkins at the base of the bird feeder. Oh, interesting. And so, and only now, the the pumpkins have only just gone. Yes. But right. it has fed the squirrels all winter long. And what's even cooler is that I have not one, but two black squirrels. I heard they're making a comeback. So there is, here. so it is, it's, the mutation is like, I think it's one in, it's something crazy, like one in 10,000, something like, really? like it's like, a, it's, it's, they're very rare um, for the, the Eastern yes, right gray here. squirrel to have that, right. that color, that color. But I think maybe 
this squirrel had a baby? That's the only thing that I that can make it make sense in my head. Yeah. That I have two black squirrels on my property. It's amazing. Right? I first saw black squirrels in Toronto. And actually, that's all I saw is up that, there. Is, is that like a different, is it like a black squirrel species or I something? I think it is. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really investigate that. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're like, oh my God. Yeah. How cute are you? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take that pumpkin idea. Thank you for that yes, tip. I'm try going to do it. that. Because yes. it, it ended up, and then like the pumpkins, um, in addition to being eaten by them, they would fill up with water. Oh, right, and right, And then right. they would have, yes. like, a little fountain. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they left the 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 seeds alone. and But they would also eat the seeds that would fall on the ground. Oh, yes, right. By the pumpkins. Yes, definitely. Sorry, we're completely off topic. <laughs> we're talking right. about nature, the yes. environment, the locality. All right, so, so let's start. We're going to get back. So f- how was the open re- opening reception on the 10th? It was for great. For the Bay it was Street great, yeah. Theater Very nice. exhibition, which, by the way, you can see... Uh, well into March, right? Like uh, at the end the of 24th? March, around the twenty fourth, around that time period, which is beautiful, good for us. It was only meant to be there for Black History Month, and maybe a week into March. But another group that was coming, I think, for Women's History Month, yeah, I, I think say. they dropped out. Oh no! And so uh, do you have some? Do you have some women in your in your oh, ex- it's, exhibition? Um, evenly divided: two oh, women, cool. two men. Yes, Fantastic. Yes. Guess, mm-hmm. All right. So, and and is there? Uh, are you able to to speak on any pieces that might feature women that are in there, or should we uh, move forward to some of the other events? Well, the two women again are Dr. Nichelle Rivers right. and Judith Enriquez Adams. Yes. Now, Judith lives in Sag Harbor full time, and uh, Nichelle is now she's at Eastern Suffolk Boses. I think she's the assistant director or something of that nature. I'm not quite clear, but her works tend to be very much more, I would say, Afrocentric. Some of the pieces we have there are on burlap, and they are have images sort of painted onto them with some African um, symbolism around them. And Judiths tend to be more geometric in nature. Oh, cool! And uh, very both uh, cool. Yes, they're great works. And I love the I love the idea of using burlap as a as something yes, to paint upon. Yes, it's a rough surface to work with, you know. Especially, I've actually I, I covered a wall in burlap and I painted it, and just. The amount of time was and it paint it took, yes, for that it paint goes to sink in, there, in. Right? it goes in, and you look at it, you put on like three coats, and it still looks like it's well. It's, by this point, it's gray, but it's uh, <laughs> it's really it a challenge. It goes straight through. Yes. yes oh my god! Yes. What a co- that's like a high cost as well. That's right. That's All right. So, right. and then uh, you know, there's also going to be a Black History event coming to LTV on the twenty fifth. Do you yes. know about that one? I have some. Some information. It's the okay, Sidney Poitier story, which is um, Sal St. George and his son Darren St. George. Uh, their program is, well, it's the Sal St. George Living History Program. It's at 7 p.m., uh, which is a Sunday, the 25th. And they're basically doing a celebration of the life of Sidney Poitier, who, of course, we know is a major award-winning actor, Lilies of the Field, uh, In the Heat of the Night. Uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner? I mean, all these major movies. Only just passed which two years ago. That's right. Very recently that we lost him. Oh, my and gosh. It's, you know, so they are doing. But, of course, I've been watching all these movies on <laughs> the different movie channels all month long. It's like every time you turn on the TV, there's another Sidney Poitier movie on. I watched one yesterday. What did you the watch? The Whitby Affair or something of that nature, which I don't think I had ever seen, which is oh, it took it place in South Africa 
Sidney Poitier uh, portrays a, um, I think it was a member of the African Congress who had just been released from prison after 10 years, and he's <gasps> escaping with, uh, I think it's Michael Caine, and they have to drive 900 miles from uh, Cape Town to Johannesburg and then try to make their way, I think it's into Rhodesia or somewhere, but... It was an interesting movie. You it's know? like it's like the the grandfather of the buddy film. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> that other one he was in with Tony Curtis, where they were escaped prisoners. Yeah, yeah. But I gotta watch that one. What's the Whitby affair? Yes, yeah, the Whitby. Right. I think it's a fair, but it was interesting. Yeah, I can't find it when it, when I I Google that name. But wait, oh. hold on, I'm gonna look up Whitby yeah, and Sydney, yes. Sydney Quantier. And then coming up in, in March, on March 3rd, yes, at the Sag, Sag Harbor Cinema. Cinema. Yes, yes, yes. We are doing yes. a program called... The Wilby... Wait, no. That's not it. Yeah. The Wilby Conspiracy from 1975. That's it. Right, Ralph right, Nelson. right. Uh-huh. Exactly. Sorry. Okay. And so, right. so, so Sag Harbor continuing their projection series. And that's you're right. And doing the Generation Speak event. Generation Speak. So we will be showing, uh, again, courtesy of LTV Studios, two... Clips. One is from around, I think it's the late 1980s, and the other one is from 1997, in which the members of our organization, the Eastfield Community Historical Society at the time, will be speaking about how the organization came about and what the goals were at the time. And, you know, it was really kind of me, I got a little sentimental looking at a lot of these people who have either passed away or some of them have dementia, but there's one lady, Marjorie Day who is now 103 years old, former president of the Eastville Society, and she's over in Peconic Landing. Oh, my and God. And still mind as sharp as a tack, walks with the walker, you know, but still mobile and able to have a real a real conversation. And we were trying to get Marjorie to come and be I in this program. <laughs> but uh, she, you know, was worried that she would not be able to remember events or people oh. and dates. So she declined her offer. But she is featured in this program along with Kathy Tucker, who is one of the founding members of the Eastville Historical Society. Kathy's in her late 90s. Um, so she's featured on this clip, but she again is not able to come out and be physically present. We still appreciate you. Yes, we do. We do. That's right. That's right. So you've been on. Have you been on the board for more than twenty years? Oh yes. Okay. (laughs) I became a member of the society in the late nineteen eighties. I'm not on the board now. I am the chairperson of the Cemetery Preservation Committee. Right. I saw that. Yes, because in around two thousand, two thousand one, I believe it was, the society was actually deeded the cemetery which was affiliated with the St. David Amy Zion Church, which is just down the block, they down the block from each other, and we acquired the cemetery, which at the time was being vandalized, overgrown, oh. all sorts of things had gone on there. Well, so, and, and you have to, uh, from what I know from doing, you know, a few articles, you really, there's a lot that needs to be done to care for these headstones, historic headstones. Oh, yes. You cannot just go in there with a scrub brush and clean up no, the stones. Like, you will a, really degrade the There's stone. like a military grade. Yes. Like, not military, but I know that there's a certain, I, it's it's escaping me what it's called, but it's the substance that they use to clean the White House oh, that they okay. use on the stones to, uh, you know, get rid of the... The, the lichen, the lichen and, and, the, and, and right, everything the that mold, the uh, mildew, but and the moss. But generally, we use just a, a mild soap and a sponge 
um, to clean them. But we had also been encroached upon. Uh, someone who had a home behind us on the next block had actually encroached on the cemetery property. Oh, so, I so wrote you had him. to do a... We had to do another survey. We um, contacted... I con- Well, we, I mean me. I contacted the village uh, building inspector and... He actually had to move his fence so yeah. off of our property, so that was it. Resolved easily, and then we put up our own wrought iron fence, and um, so we're maintaining the grounds. But there's still, and then we had done a ground penetrating radar where we were trying to determine, what, right. yeah, because there's a very large area towards the back of the cemetery which looks like it's empty, but, but perhaps I, there are people that we believe there are people buried under there. So did you go? Did you use the radar? Did you we uncover did, but anything? The results were inconclusive, Gianna. Okay. They really. Could yeah, not determine what this, some of these different levels and subsidence was. So I think we'll have to get another survey done at some point. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. so I had a question, and it was just saying, in the spirit of what we've been discussing uh, about the past of Eastville Community Historical Society, and and also in connection with like Afrofuturism, what do you hope for the group when you look into the future? It's it's an it's a germane topic, especially when we we started with my uh, you know unhinged rant about the Audubon Society. You know when when you look forward, because we're we're in a world that is changing, right? It's almost like uh, no matter where you look, uh, there's immense change. Yes. Uh, you know what do you what do you see for Eastville Community Historical? When you think about, you know, uh, bringing in this next generation. That's very difficult. We've been trying for years to uh, have younger people become involved. But, you know, there are very few that live here full time. But actually, a lot of our original resident, I mean, members of the society were not full time residents. So, well, what I'd like to see is, number one, we have to maintain our headquarters. I don't know if you've driven past there, but our roof is really in bad need of repair as well as the overall structure. Now, when we took over the building, it had been abandoned for well over a decade. So the floors were caving in, the roof was um, falling in, and it was really, really just falling apart. So we did a lot of sweat equity in getting the building. The village of Sag Harbor actually was able to take it off of the tax rolls because it had been taken over uh, by the county for non-payment of taxes. So they turned over the building to us, and our rent is just the maintenance of the building. But... Right now we're short of funds, so we are fundraising for that, so we can. Well, can, roof is not a, is not a cheap thing, and it's neither not, is it's not. neither is stu- if you're talking about structural integrity, you mean like the foundation, or what? Well, there's a crack in the foundation, which we see, which we we think is probably uh, allowing water to seep into the basement where we actually store a lot of our, our oh, collections. Yeah, that's not a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. There's really only one room in the building which is climate controlled, and. I've been shoving things into the closet there and shoving them, especially paper goods, cannot be in that type of no. damp environment. Right. But, um, you know, we'd, so we'd like to go continue with our mission, which is to document and have educational programs about the neighborhood of Eastville in Sag Harbor. But it sounds like in, in, in short order, at some point, you're going to have to protect those documents. We are. Yeah. We are. That's you know? right. That's right. Because yes. that's, that stuff is... is it's they're vulnerable to yeah. when once you lose that, that may be the only record that's available because a lot of it has not been digitized or right. anything or photographed. And so, we've so there we go. Forward. There's something. There's a good project. A digitation, yeah. 
digitization project. Yes, yes, yes. Michael, it was so wonderful to have you Thank here. Thank you. We went a little bit over 10 minutes. Yes, I think we did. A lot over. That's okay. I don't mind you. Not at all. It was such great. a pleasure. Let's not be four so years wonderful. again. No, please no. So come back this summer. I was like, I was talking, I was thinking, oh, we have to have Judith and we have to have Dr. Rivers on. And then I was like, oh, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be, it's going to be like May before oh. I'm back from, from baby town. Oh, but good that's, for you. that's all right. All right. So just to, to wrap up, I just want to say, check out, um, well, no call to action, but uh, the the uh, fut- Afrofuturism exhibit will be available and to see free of the public in the in the lobby of Bay Street through the twenty fourth of March. There is that Sydney Poitier uh, story event at LTV That's February on 25th. the twenty fifth, yes. correct? Yes. And then March third is the continuation of Sag Harbor Cinema's projection series and the Generations Speak discussion. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Michael Butler. This is mm -mm -mm, Robert Ellis. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. No, I don't want to be here. You can keep your margarita Well, you're gonna be up all night Drinking all that Coca-Cola And there is nothing worse Than water straight from the tap Life just feels kind of flat Without it Topo Chico and Lime Topo Chico and Lime Well, I'll be just fine With Topo Chico and Lime Put some ice in a glass Or drink it straight out of the bottle Well, you're gonna be feeling fine With a Tommy full of bubbles And it sounds so I hope they don't ever stop Topo Chico and Lime Topo Chico and Lime I'll be just fine With Topo Chico and Lime For a bubbly libation Or if you need a new addiction With a focus on hydration We've got just the thing To keep your whistle wet Don't forget 
Topo Chico and Lime. Topo Chico and Lime. Drew Kennedy and Josh Greider after Robert Ellis. This is Topo Chico Cowboy. I'll lead you into the NPR news break with Alan Toussaint. Little Chico. Here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the heart of the East End, with Gianna Volpe. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. Stay with us. He's got a hat, ain't got no cattle, but he rides tall up in the saddle. He knows the highway, he knows the back roads. He's known from PA to old New Mexico. WLIWFM. Extra. 